Welcome to the Doctors Building Wealth Podcast, a place where we talk about the strategies, habits, and mindset that separate wealthy docs from those who are not. We're your hosts, Leiti and Kenji. We have Garrett Sutton here again for part two, and this time we're going to talk about real estate. Thank you so much, Garrett, for being here. My pleasure. So Garrett, you've written this phenomenal book that everyone should read. It's called Loopholes of Real Estate Investing. Well, first of all, let me just tell people it is seven hours long when I look at my Kindle, seven hours, because it covers everything. There's a chapter on real estate professional. There's a chapter on doing things like putting things into LLCs. There's there's every chapter that you need to really get the basics down for real estate investing, which is part of why I love it. But what I really wanted to start out talking about was loopholes, because that's in your title. And I think a lot of people have negative connotations when they think about loopholes and you see it differently. So can we start out by talking about that? Sure. It's funny. I wrote loopholes of real estate in the first edition. I didn't really dive into the loopholes, the term loophole as much. And when I did the second edition, I, it was just fascinating that loopholes started out in castles and a loophole was a little slit of a window that you could fire an arrow out. So it was a protective device, right? The people on the ground, they're not likely to get a rock or something through that little tiny slit, that loophole, but an archer certainly could get an arrow down on the protesters below. So then the loopholes got moved to the bottom of the castle and it was a way in which people could escape a siege. And so little kids and small adults could sneak out the loopholes uh, of the castle to get away. And so then it entered the language as an escape, a way out. So we have loopholes in a contract. It's an escape route. So in loopholes, we talk about in loopholes of real estate, the book, we talk about uh, this. And in terms of legal issues, we want to close the loopholes so that we're better protected. We don't want people to sue us. We want to have our protection in place. So we want to close those loopholes. And then in terms of taxes, we have tax loopholes where you can get a better tax result by using these strategies such as depreciation and the real estate professional and all. And so we have the tax loopholes that we want to open up for our protection. So loopholes involves closing the legal loopholes and opening the tax loophole. I have had people tell me, Letitia, that Geez, it's a negative connotation. Loopholes is a bad word. I got to just pick up the book, right? Just forget about the word loopholes and pick up the book. So it is out there. Yeah, I think it's a lot of, or a lot of our readers too, feel a little bit of guilt about using loopholes. And I think part of why your book is so great is it really, I think, alleviates that guilt. So can you help our listeners understand why loopholes aren't a bad thing and why you should be using them? Well, here's the thing. The law in federal law and the law in all 50 states allows us to use these things, right? They allow us to use the tax code to our advantage. They allow us to use state law to our advantage to set up LLCs. It's not like this isn't something that everybody can do. The law is there for everybody. The tax code does not discriminate if you're rich or poor. Anybody can use the tax code to their advantage. Anybody can use the legal system as it's set up to their advantage. So 
there should be no guilt in this. This is the system that we have. And why not take advantage of it? Yeah. Yeah. One, one other way I think about it is a, it's a level playing field. Everybody can take advantage of it. It's actually very fair. Right. Yeah. Right. And real estate is really tax advantaged, right? There are a lot of quote unquote loopholes. So why do you think that is? Here's the reason. The government tried to provide housing 50 years ago, 100 years ago. They tried to provide housing and they were miserable at it. The housing was just awful. And you still have public housing projects in, say, San Francisco. You can go buy these buildings that look like they were built for the Soviet Union. There are these just these block apartment buildings. They look hideous and there are rats in there. And the problem is, let's be honest, that government employees don't take care of things the way that private investors do. And so the government finally realized that, look, for us to provide housing, it's not good social policy. It costs us too much money. And the tenants really don't have a good place to live. And so the government said, look, instead of us trying to do this, let's just have the private sector do it. And to incentivize the private sector to provide housing, let's give them some tax advantages. And that's what depreciation is. That's what this is all about. And people who decry that landlords get special tax advantages they should consider what it was like to live in public housing 50 years ago. I'd much rather have a landlord get a tax credit and provide good housing. The law requires them to provide good housing. If you don't provide good housing, you can be sued. So the law is on top of these landlords, but the tax uh, benefits that landlords receive pale in comparison to what it was like when the government tried to provide housing. You brought up depreciation. I think it's a really interesting concept because I think some people have trouble getting their head around the fact that you could buy something that was built a hundred years ago and supposedly has already been depreciated by a bunch of other people. And then you buy it and you can depreciate it all over again. Can you talk about depreciation and how that's done here in the U.S. and why it's such a huge advantage? Well, depreciation, you can't depreciate land. So the land from a hundred years ago is the same as it is now. You never get to depreciate the land, but the building, buildings do have a useful life. If it's a hundred years old, I guarantee you, you put some money in to keep it up. So buildings do depreciate. And the fact is that you bought the property from someone and you get to start the depreciation all over again because there is a useful life to property. In some cases, that property is going to be torn down and replaced with a better property. So the depreciation is a good tax advantage that keeps real estate investors providing housing and other types of commercial properties to the public. And so the idea that you have 20 owners over a hundred year period, right? Five year period each, they get to depreciate every single period. And that's fine. And the other thing is when you depreciate and sell the property, there is recapture. You do have to come back with uh, recapture on that. So the government doesn't totally lose out on it. So for me, the system is great. And I'm looking at the various tax plans that are being put forward. And they're talking about trying to get rid of the 1031, which I don't ever see happening, but it's in the plan. But you don't see anybody getting rid of depreciation because that's one of the key reasons we have good housing in this country. 
What about bonus depreciation? What's the rationale for being able to front load your depreciation like that? Oh, it just gets people to invest their money quicker, get into it quicker. I could care less about bonus depreciation, really. I mean, I have my properties and bonus depreciation doesn't get me excited. People certainly are going to use it. You're always going to use the tax code to your advantage. So what? I mean, if you get a bonus depreciation, fine. If that's going to be the decision for you to invest in real estate, go for it. But if bonus depreciation wasn't there, I would still invest in real estate. Yeah, yeah. I think that's something we actually hear from a lot of our students is they're like, well, I can't get real estate professional status. I'm not going to be able to take advantage of bonus depreciation, right? Because it's not going to be an active loss. It's just going to be passive loss. What do I need that for? And they say, well, should I really invest in real estate? So I know you're a huge proponent for real estate. Let me hear your argument for why. (laughs) Well, I think that real estate is, at least for me, in my personal experience, and Kenji, Leticia, I talked to hundreds of people on the phone. I, I talk to people all over the country and even people from offshore that are investing in here. And just the, the stories, the anecdotes of the advantages of investing in real estate are all positive, right? I mean, people have made their estate, their net worth has increased by investing in real estate. So depreciation is certainly a factor in that. But Bonus depreciation and the real estate professional, if those two didn't exist, I would still invest in real estate. Yep, totally. That's the way we feel too. Okay. So one thing that you have in your book that I think people really need to hear in this environment is that there are always good deals. doesn't matter if it's a downturn or if things are hot like they actually are right now. There's always a good deal to be found. And I'd like people to hear why you believe that. Well, I guess because there are. The thing is, When you're first getting into real estate, you're going to think, oh my God, these deals are so expensive and this and that. And maybe just to get your toe in the water, you're going to invest in something. My first one, I learned a lot by investing in that first property. But it's when you get into the real estate world that you start finding the good deals. You know, you're not as a newbie as owning one or two properties, you're not going to have the smoking deals come to you. But as you get known as a real estate investor, as you talk to realtors and treat them properly, you will find the deals out there. And again, I'm always a little cautious on the smoking deal, on the great deal. That sends my antenna up, right? Too many people come at you with the good deal. And so you really have to do your due diligence to make sure it's truly a good deal. These pro formas, people will provide you with a pro forma saying this is what could happen on the property. Pro forma in Latin means as if, as if this is real. You have to do your due diligence to make sure it's real. Yeah, you always have to run your own numbers and you cannot trust anyone to look after your money like you do. And so exactly that's that financial education piece that Robert Kiyosaki always talks about is having that knowledge to be able to know what a good deal is and not relying on other people. Very key. Totally agree. Totally agree. So one thing that you talk about just now was when you buy a couple properties, all of a sudden you have those relationships, right? With your agents and you're known as a person who acts and a person that they should take seriously. And then the better deals come to you. And I think a lot of students don't realize that right off is they think, 
oh, the agent's just going to bring me a phenomenal deal right in the beginning, or they should bring all their deals to me. And so one thing we do teach is to keep in contact with your agent really regularly, check in with them every week, form that relationship, and then put in offers, right? Because you are showing that you are willing to act. And over time, you build that relationship. Now, one thing you also mentioned is you become a specialist in a certain type of deal, right? So you maybe become the specialist in duplexes in this particular market. So can you explain that concept to people? Yeah, well, two points. The first one is when you were talking about developing your relationship. I agree completely. I Sometimes if you're trying to get to know the various agents, buy them lunch, right? Just take them to lunch, buy the lunch for them and pick their brain on the market, what's happening. The reason they're not bringing you the great deals right off the bat is because they have 10 other clients that they have a relationship with who are going to get the best deal. So it's going to take you time to break in to that inner circle, if you will. But you can. And buying a couple properties, taking these people to lunch, getting to know them, people will appreciate that you appreciate them. And in return, you'll start seeing the better deals. Now, the second question was on specialization. I think that's something that everybody should consider. I have these clients that are well, I'm going to buy a single family home in Birmingham, and then I'm going to buy duplexes up in uh, Cleveland. I just think that you're better off understanding the market that you're going into. And, and that seems to work for a lot of my clients. Is I have a client here in Reno, and his focus is between 10 and 40 units, right? That's his niche here in Reno. Everybody knows that he will look at a prospectus for a 10 to 40 unit apartment building. He knows how to manage them. He has all the service and vendor people lined up. He's got a team around him and he's able to just kill that niche. And so that's something that people should consider. This week's podcast is sponsored by our course, Zero to Freedom Through Cashflowing Rentals. Zero to Freedom Through Cashflowing Rentals is a 10-week online course focused on helping physicians and high-income earners go from knowing little to nothing about real estate investing to confidently buying the cashflowing rentals that will allow them to achieve financial freedom and work in medicine or their day jobs on their own terms. Our course is only open to registration twice a year, so be sure to get on the wait list at semiretiredmd.com and check out the course details on our course landing page. This episode is brought to you by Epic Financial Strategies. Have you purchased a bunch of different products from a bunch of different financial professionals and at the same time don't understand how your products are integrated and coordinated? Kelly Cole and Rob Gale have a team of professionals whose job is to help you navigate through the financial seas of uncertainty and create optimal amounts of loss with little or no additional out-of-pocket cost. They help you craft your investment philosophy, assisting you in creating your own financial website, so you can monitor and measure your investment decisions. If you're interested in a free consultation, you can reach them at semi-retiredmd at epicwm.com. Now back to the show. I know who invests in real estate always has their stories of mistakes or things they could have done better. Do you have any of those types of stories in your investing career? Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do. And I do have attorney-client privilege I have to watch out for, but I'll tell one on myself. I, I did manage that property that, you know, that first property. And the tenant was always calling me up 
At one time, the washer didn't work and he wanted me to come over and fix it. And I would have only damaged it more. That's when I started interviewing property management companies. If you're not good at the hands-on stuff, which I am not, let me write. I can write, but I can't do anything mechanical. If you're not good at that, you get a property management company and there's a whole set of issues when you're interviewing a property management company to take over. But for me, that was a wake up call when he wanted me to come over and repair the washing machine. I said, I, I just, I've got, I'll pay the 10%. I've got to have a property management company in on this one now. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. And then one uh, question about corporate direct in the last episode, we talked about asset protection. And I know that's a real focus of corporate direct. Are there other types of services that you do in the real estate area, which are tied to the book loopholes? No, at Corporate Direct, we focus on setting up and maintaining corporations and LLCs, and that's what we stick to. So in terms of analyzing a property, that wouldn't be me. In terms of insurance, you're going to want someone local for the insurance. Bookkeeping, you really need a bookkeeper, and you're going to want someone local that you can meet with on that. CPAs, I have a lot of clients that will use CPAs in other cities. And that seems to work well. The CPA work can be done over the phone and over the internet. The, the bookkeeping, I think, is local. And that is something, as well as insurance. So you want to have those two people on your team, as well as a banker. I think having a good relationship with a banker is good because, God, so many of these banks, you walk in and it's a different manager every single Every single year, there's a new manager in there or quicker every six months. So I like working with, in, in some cases, the small local banks where the people tend to stay there longer and you can develop a relationship with a loan officer or a vice president of the bank. So that's a key team member as well. Love that. Yeah, that's exactly what we teach our students. You got to build your team and build those relationships. And yeah, love that advice about the bank as well. Yeah. Do you also suggest that most people have a local real estate attorney as well? Or if they have an asset protection firm, do they not need that? No, I think you need a local real estate attorney on your team. We set up LLCs and corporations in all 50 states, but we are not there in your hometown to provide you with advice on what happens when a tenant sues or you have to evict a tenant. That's the more common situation. So you need a local real estate attorney on your team. And I always think it's best to interview several attorneys and decide which one you feel comfortable with before there's ever a problem, right? You buy that first property and you know you're going to have a couple tenants in there and someday you may have to evict them. Hopefully you don't. But I would interview a few attorneys in town and see who you feel comfortable with because when it's time to engage in that eviction, you don't want to spend a week or two trying to find someone. I'd rather have you have a name that you can call right away. What about for asset protection? What are some things that, you know, there's so many different options out there in terms of like strategies and companies and like, how would you help somebody uh, guide them to choose one company versus another? Well, we provide a free 15 minute consult with an incorporating specialist. So you can call us and see if you like what we're offering, if you feel comfortable with us. So people can call 800-600-1760 and get a free 15-minute consultation. If you want to get on the phone with me, half an hour is $175. If you want to go through and see what we offer from me, 
In terms of asset protection, we set up the LLCs and the corporations. We'll work with your trust attorneys. If you're going to have a living trust, if you're going to have an irrevocable trust, we work with a lot of different attorneys around the country on these issues. Now, one thing I wanted to talk to you about is I saw in the loopholes book, this brilliant plan for how to transition your LLCs over time and avoid estate taxes to your kids. And actually, one of the, the example kid's name was Kenji. So, <laughs> yes, it was. I missed that. <laughs> I have a friend named Kenji here in Reno. That's how the name got in there. <laughs> so, can awesome. you explain that to our listeners? Because I think they'd be really interested in it. Yeah. So, you have uh, a couple ways to uh, transfer the assets from your estate to your kids. One would be the living trust. When you pass, the living trust owns the Wyoming LLC. When the parents pass, the living trust says, okay, the son and daughter get the Wyoming LLC. And let's say the parents, the value for the parents, they bought the properties owned by the Wyoming LLC and the total value was 500000 So at death, you have a step up in basis. So if the parents paid 500000 but the properties are now worth a million, the kids take the basis at the fair market value when the parents die. That's it stepped up from 500000 to a million. And there's no tax there for the kids. So that's a good way to go. During your lifetime until death, you can gift under current law $11 million per spouse. So mom and dad can gift $22 million without estate taxes. Right now, in five years, that goes down to $5 million. And the new tax plan by one of the candidates wants to reduce that even more. But you do have the ability to gift at the time of your death and the kids get the step up in basis. And as well, the uh, Biden's tax plan also wants to get rid of the step up in basis. So in that situation, when mom and dad transferred to the kids, there would be a $500,000 gain, but there'd be an exclusion for 500 probably. So that's the first way, the step up in basis. You just gift it to the kids when you die. There's another way, and that's the gifting where during your lifetime, you make gifts to the kids. In our example, the living trust owns 100% of the Wyoming LLC. And the mom and dad can gift $15,000 per person to each kid per year. So the living trust would say, we're going to gift an interest in the Wyoming LLC to our kids. Mom gifts 15000 to son and daughter. Dad gifts 15000 to son and daughter. So it's 15000 per person. So mom gifts 30000 to son and daughter. Dad gifts two times 15 to son and daughter. So mom and dad can gift to the two kids $60,000 worth of interest in the Wyoming LLC. And I know this is complicated, but it's in the book. So mom and dad, over time, every year, they're gifting $60,000 in interest in the Wyoming LLC. It's not cash. They're not giving the kids cash. What we do, we do this for a lot of our clients, is mom and dad say, okay, the $60,000 equals 10% of the Wyoming LLC. So instead of 100% owned by mom and dad, now it's 90% mom and dad, 10% to the kids, right? And then next year, 
it's another 10% of the kids. So then it's 80, 20, 70, 30, and you gift over time tax-free. And so that's the second way that people can gift to their kids. And right now with the $11 million that they can gift during their lifetime or at their death, we just don't, aren't seeing a lot of the gifting right now, right? It's just with $11 million, that covers most people. Well, it's going to come down. And if uh, Biden has his way, it's going to come way down. So then you'll see gifting again. It's just a strategy that you use according to the law at the time that you're in. Right now, the time is good. You can gift up to $11 million. But if that comes down and you have to pay taxes above, let's say, a million dollars, people are going to start using the annual gifts again. Well, thank you so much for sharing all your real estate advice. And can you tell everyone the two books that you've written? Because I really think they're must-reads. Well, I wrote Loopholes of Real Estate, the one we've discussed. I wrote Start Your Own Corporation. That was my first book. In October, I have a new Rich Dad Advisor book coming out called Scam Proof Your Assets, Guarding Against Widespread Deception. And we're just inundated with all these email and internet scams and telephone scams. And you just have to keep your guard up. And so that's what this book is about, because people are actually using these techniques to take your assets, right? We've invested in real estate. We've set up LLCs. We want to stay protected. You got to stay protected against these scamsters. Wow. I didn't know that was coming. That's, That's great. Good awesome. timing then. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us, Garrett. Thank you. Pleasure to be on the show. The Doctors Building Wealth podcast provides information only and does not provide any financial, legal, tax, medical, or psychological services or advice. You are responsible for your own financial, physical, mental, and emotional well-being, decisions, choices, actions, and results. You should contact a professional if you have any specific questions about your unique situation.